Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we go to this word. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. And truly, he's worthy. Thank you for the opportunity we have this morning to listen to your word. Speak, Lord, from your word so that we will know you more, so that we will love you more, so that we will follow you more, so that, Lord, we will be stronger in our partnership to advance the gospel to the nations of the world. This we ask, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a copy of the Bible, I want you to turn to John chapter 20. John's Gospel, chapter 20. John 20. I'm going to read verses 19 through 19 to 23. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed. And when they saw the Lord, again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgave any one of your sins, they are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not in forgiven. They will not be forgiven. Amen. A few years ago, CBS, I believe it's American News of Light, had, a, had an, a, a headlines like this. Man on a mission to mow lawns in all 56 of America for a good cause. Interesting, right? So Rodney Smith was interviewed by CBS. And in his interview, he said, he was asked about his mission and his vision. He said, I saw a man mowing Lauren and struggling. And so I got out of my car and helped him. Smith tells CBS that the moment, that moment inspired him so much to create a movement, a movement. He says, at the time he was completing his bachelor's degree in computer science, he will go and mow lawns in between his classes. He will cut classes to do that. And then he started incorporating kids in his mission. At the time he was speaking, he had sister kids in the Hartville area that had joined him on that movement. Rodney said his goal isn't just about lawn, but it's about caring for people and letting, know, letting people know that he cares. It's interesting because everyone here this morning has some kind of mission for life, some kind of reason why you woke up every morning and you get going. Some may be clearly defined or on course. Others may be redefining and getting redirected. It may not be expressing care through lawn mowing, 
but it may be many other things. Now, here is the point. No matter how nice or good is your mission, how much of it is God-centered? How much of it is God is influencing? Does it connect with God's primary plan for your life existing on earth? The text before us in John chapter 10 to 20 really encourages us to live on mission. It teaches us that the raising Jesus Christ has given us a mission for life and has empowered us to accomplish that mission. We are here in John's gospel, and he gives us a account of Jesus' post-resurrection ministry. On the Sunday after he died, Mary Magdalene, the woman with, with a past phone, Jesus' tomb empty, she reported this to the other disciples. They investigated and found the grave empty, but could not make sense of it. And then Jesus appeared to Mary and to others. Now, this morning we pick up the story as Jesus appears for the very first time, though his disciples, why they were fair behind closed doors. Notice Jesus' first words to them. Peace be with you. It is important that he repeats it again in verses 21 and 26. Jesus does, Jesus does anything, but before Jesus does anything else, he begins by giving peace. Normally, this will be the same. This wouldn't mean much in that culture because the typical Jewish greeting that still is today. But in the context, it comes much more important. We have already seen that the disciples felt afraid. They were confused and afraid of the people who killed Jesus. It seems that Jesus was doing far more than simply greeting them before he had died. He had promised his followers, one in John chapter 14 verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the word does, give you, I give you peace. Let not your heart be troubled. Not I'll be afraid. In John chapter 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the word, you have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the word. Now, the raising Christ, in his first word out of his mouth, the disciples, he repeats it three times, peace be to you. The word peace here is shalom. It's an all-embracing term to denote the unqualifying well-being that will characterize the people of God. It is the epitome of all blessings that the kingdom of God brings to our lives. It is a counterpart of Jesus' final word on the cross. It is finished. There's nothing left. Peace be to you. You have peace when we come to know our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I like the way John Papa notes on, these, on this text and said, Peace between us and Jesus. Peace between God, us, and God. Peace between us and others in our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace in our soul is no longer troubled, but is resting and satisfied in Christ Jesus. The hope of peace in the whole world, that one day this peace will rule the world as we accomplish our mission. It is such an important idea that every greeting by the Apostle Paul in his letter includes peace. The heart of Jesus is to give us peace. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. 
You know that, do you know that feeling you get when you are in right relation, relationally with somebody? I had, I had a smallest amount of it this week when one of my teenagers and I were in the right. It drove me crazy, especially that I'm way up in America and sovereign doesn't communicate well. So I wanted that peace between he and I. It ate me up until we fixed it. Imagine that tension exists between you and the creator of the earth, between you and the maker of the universe. That's disconnect existing between you and God. That is our natural state because we are born wanting to run our lives our way rather than God's way. Our natural condition is one of thinking we know better than God. At its, most, as, at its most basic level, that is called sin. And it destroys our relationship with the Lord. But Jesus showed up, having completed the work of God gave him to do, and he declares peace. In an anxious world with all that is going on, Jesus showed up and grants us peace. A well-being that isn't dependent on the circumstances around us, he gives us peace with God, and his peace spreads throughout our entire lives, no matter how bad things get. Romans chapter 5, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. We boast in the hope of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you an enemy with God? Are you here this morning, maybe you're visiting, and you feel far away from God? Do you feel lost and deep in sin, confused, and don't know the next steps? Well, it was interesting that I saw one of the quotes offered here as the bridge course that introduces you to Christianity, actually to Jesus Christ, who bridges that gap and, create, and, and help you to get to know God. And if that is your interest, if you want to know more, you can meet one of the elders right after church and ask more questions about how to relate to our Lord Jesus Christ. For many of us who are Christians, no matter what you go through right now, no matter what you are facing right now, the raising Jesus Christ brings peace to our troubled hearts. My prayer for you this morning is what Paul prayed for in 2 Thessalonians 3, 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. In a multitude of difficult circumstances, Jesus had his heart to bring you peace. But that is not what all the reason Christ gives us. The peace we receive from our Lord Jesus Christ is very related and indispensably connected to our single one purpose, to our mission in life. Keep in mind that these men who were gathered in coastal have fled for fear of their lives when Jesus was arrested. Peter had denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times. They had doubted the initial reports of his resurrection. It would certainly be un understandable if Jesus had greeted them and said, you unbelieving, take care of excuses, this excuse of this of disciple. What are you doing together? But rather, he then comes to them with auto rebuke. The Lord graciously extends to them 
and underscore his peace in the life. Peace with God is the foundation of our mission. Peace with God is the foundation of the task we are called to do. Because when we have peace with God, the gospel flourishes in our life. It flourishes in our midst as a church. And when we fall in love with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, we want to talk about it. We want to tell about Jesus Christ. You can't begin to serve the Lord unless you first reconcile with him. Are you reconciled with Jesus Christ? Before you believe in Jesus, your sins alienated you from the Lord, Romans 8. But when we trust in Jesus, we enter into a relationship of peace with Christ. Then and only then has God appointed us to be ambassadors of his mission to reconcile the world to himself. I love the way John Stott said this. We learn then that the church first need before it can begin to engage in evangelism and mission is an experience and an assurance of Christ's peace. Peace of conscience through his death that banishes sin. Peace of mind through his resurrection that banishes doubt. Once we are glad that we have seen the Lord, and once we have clearly recognized him as our crucified and risen Savior, then nothing, no one stands before our mission. If the goodness of God in our gaze of him excites us and flourishes in our life, we naturally go out to tell people about who he is. Because Christ is raising, we have peace with God. And we are able to carry on the mission for why we exist. Verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Let's unpack that a little bit. Jesus came to this world with a mission. He came because the Father sent him to come. It is that same mission he commands us that we exist for. This is the task that Christ has given us. As the Father sent me, so now he has sent the apostles, and through them he's sending you and he's sending me. This is John's version of what we typically call the Great Commission. Each of the Gospels, along with Acts, contain some account of Jesus' commission to his disciples. And through them, the church that will be built upon that foundation. In Matthew 28, Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In Mark 16, he said, Go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes in you and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe in you will be condemned. In Luke chapter 24, verse 44, then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law and the prophets and the psalm must be fulfilled. He jumped to Acts chapter 1. He said, It is not for you now times of the season that the Father has fixed on my own authority. But you will receive power. And when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
brothers and sisters, we have work to do. And when I say we, I'm referring to you first as an individual. I'm referring to this local church. I'm referring to the Church of America. I'm referring to the global church of those who Christ has saved. We have work to do. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. This is a remarkable statement. But what Jesus means by that? First, he talks about the Father. Jesus is saying he didn't come by accident. He didn't just show up. It was an internal plan of the Father. He was sent. He came to win the world. He came to this world as on a mission. He became free. He came because the Father has sent him. It is a mission that began in the very heart of God. I'd like to propose to you that God was the first missionary. God is on mission to set this world alight, to redeem the broken and the sinful world to what he intended it to be. And Jesus came as part of that mission so that everyone who believes in him can have eternal life, become a child of God and be set free from the slavery of sin and more. No, see, God sees his lost, irreligious, immoral, the sinful, and the lostness of this world as valuable, worthy of finding. And so he sends Jesus. We have done evil in more ways than we can comprehend cannot in our own power alter our emotional and spiritual addiction to the evil that exists in the world. When Jesus mentions the Father, he's referring to God's loving plan of redemption. He's referring to God's loving plan of the glorious meeting of God's justice and judgment and sin, but his love for the sinner. And then the Father sent him. God promises the beginning Promises from the beginning to someday crush evil and rescue humanity, Genesis 3. And God initiates that redemption through the covenant with Abraham based on Abraham's simple faith and his promise. Through Abraham comes Israel. Israel comes the seed. And through Jesus Christ, human will be offered a relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ by grace alone. And John tells us how this is taking to place. John chapter 1, in the beginning was a word, and the word was with God, and God was the word. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has not been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. Verse 14, then this word, this internal God became flesh and made his dwelling among us, We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus lived with a deep sense of being sent by the Father. Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news of the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recover the sight of the blind, to release oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
In Mark chapter 10, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for many. In John chapter 8, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, for I have, but I will give him the light of life. This is what Jesus was sent to do. This is still Jesus' mission to the world, our God. Jesus didn't want to talk about the fact that this was in the heart of the Father. He said the Father commissioned him to do it. The Father sent him. And the cross was where this was going to be fully accomplished, to pay the price for redemption. So God in human form allows himself to be killed on his own wrath in humanity's place. So as a sacrifice of sin that we humans have committed. This allowed God to embrace us who trust him, releasing us from the penalty and the power of sin, effectively engrafting us into this covenant he had. God raises Christ from the dead, and Jesus demonstrated that he, is he has defeated death by appearing to several hundred people over the past six weeks, over the last six weeks. When we truly begin to grasp the magnitude of our sin against the Lord, it is natural to wonder what will possibly motivate God to send his son. The sense of wonder grows as we understand that Jesus lived the life of perfect obedience that we, that we should have lived, died to pay for our sins, and rose from the dead to conquer sin, death, and the devil. And as if that were enough, he adapted us into his family and sent his spirit to dwell within us. So why did God send Jesus? The Bible makes this very clear because not of anything lovely in us. Paul writes in Romans 5, for while we were still weak, we were still sinner, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And for one who scarcely died for the righteous, though perhaps for a good person one will even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that part of what makes God's sense of God's love for us is so stunning is that it directed us toward us when we were sinners rebelling against him, against the Lord. As a father sent me, Jesus said, so send I you. Listen, we could never, ever have gone to that cross. We can never, ever go near the cross. It's obvious that Jesus is not calling you and I to go to the cross as the Father sent him. That's a one-time final payment. would never, ever be repeated. We were unqualified, unable to ever do that. And let me just say this also. There is absolutely no sacrifice that you can pay that comes close to the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is absolutely no amount of suffering that you and I can face in this gospel work that comes even close to the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. However, by, by, however by the cross, by sending Jesus, the Father sending Jesus to accomplish a lot of things so that we can publish that. Jesus accomplished 
our reconciliation with God, which is good news. He, he accomplished the fact that we, that he, 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 he freed us from the dominion of sin. Romans 6, 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. He accomplished reconciliation with God. He accomplished the dominion over sin. He accomplished the defeat of death. 1 Corinthians 15, I'd like to read that portion. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, verse 1 through 5, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you, uh, as, as a mystery, we will not all sleep, but we will be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, as the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound. The dead in Christ will, the dead in Christ will rise imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must be clothed, it must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. We reconcile with God by the cross. We have dominion over sin by the cross. Death is defeated by the cross. We also have new life. Having crucified with Christ, it is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I lay by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. We have new life. We have forgiveness. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know what to do. And finally, we also have, we've been adopted. Romans 8 for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of Dasha by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if, and if children then heirs and heirs of God and join heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified. These are all good news. The Son was sent as, as to accomplish this news. The cross accomplished all of this in expression of his internal love. And this, when we gaze on, harms us. Listen, church, our mission is an embodiment of this. This is what we are called to announce. This is what we are called to trumpet to the world around us. This is what we are called to trumpet in our homes, in our neighborhood, in our workplace, and the nations of the world. So as the Father sent Jesus, so Jesus is sending us. We are built for something bigger than a life as usual. We are built to be part of what God is doing in the world, part of something that has to do with life, with light and darkness, life and death, evil and boldness, and, and evil and goodness. It might not be flashy stuff, but we are called to important stuff and this is true for every one of us. It may not be a large crusade. It may only be five persons, one-on-one, one-on-one, family, preaching the gospel in the family, in the neighborhood, or in our office. But God has called us to something bigger than just any a paycheck, 
providing for our family, or trying to make due a life for selfish reasons. He has called us to be more than that, something that is God-sized. This is what we are created for. It says in the scripture that we are created in Christ to do good work. Listen, if you are still living for yourself, then let me encourage you to take the first step. The first step is to admit that you are just living for yourself, Lord, to know that God has created you for more than that. The story of Hossin Tiller inspires me greatly to this day of his selfless life. In the book, The Spiritual Secret of Hossin Tiller, it tells the story of how he became a selfless young man who took the gospel to China as a missionary in the late 1850 and formed the China Inland Mission. James and Amelia Hossin's parents had daily quiet time, daily family devotion, and ate together. They loved the children like any of you, many, many of you in this room. They enjoyed giving them treats on occasion. But once in a while, when Amelia brought the dessert to the table for the family, James would say, what will, who will see, who will we see first who would not take this, this sweet today? He would explain to the children why. By and by, you will have to say no to yourself when, you are not, when we are not there to help you. Very difficult, very difficult. You will find it when you want to think so much. So let us try to practice now. For the sooner you begin, the stronger you will become. You'll build a habit. He's telling his children. The children will not punish if they choose not to give up the sweet. But if they did, the entire day, they will be rewarded by the parents' approval or some other gift. Hossin Taylor took this lesson to heart and learned that every time to say no to himself, to say no to his desire, to say no to what he wants. He went out to live a life characterized by self-denial for the sake of the gospel as a young boy and as an adult. And yet, when he looked back over his long life, this is what he said, I made no sacrifice. He could, be, could he be honest in saying that? He said, I made no sacrifice. He did not compare his sacrifice, even though he pursued his selfless life, to nothing near Jesus Christ's sacrifice. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice. So we are called to advance that good news of a sacrifice. Our sacrifice is doing it. Our sacrificing doing it never compares to him. But we are sent. In case you were wondering what this sending looks like, look at verse 23. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness for anyone, it is withheld. When you read it, the first thing that comes to your mind is that you have, do I have some power to forgive sins? No. 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 Yeah, what does it mean? We get to represent Jesus in the world, offering and announcing his salvation. We get to announce the gospel, in, and that's what really matters. I like how John Piper paraphrases this to help us understand this. So when you tell people about what I have done, paraphrasing what Jesus is speaking, Speaking my word about my work in the power of the Spirit, I am the one speaking through you so that if anyone believes your word, I forgive their sins. 
I'm the one speaking through that if anyone believes your word, I forgave the sin. If anyone does not believe your word, I do not forgive them. And since you are, and since you are, you are my voice and my truth, I speak of your, I speak of your forgiving them and you withholding forgiveness. So church, let's proclaim the gospel. That's what we are called to do. That's our mission. Yet Jesus turned to his disciples and said, and therefore to us and says that he has a purpose for our life. And that purpose is so great and it's in line with the same purpose Jesus had. As the Father sent me, Jesus has sent us to the mission of the people of the world. We are all missionaries. We are all ambassadors. We are commanded to go and share the good news. That's our life's purpose. It should be in the central and the middle of every other thing we do. This is not for one group of people. This is not for pastors only. It's for every believer. There's a story I've read so interesting about a new Marine who arrived at a basic training. As soon as he stepped on the bus, the drill sergeant began yelling for everyone, line up, line up. Each new recruit dropped the bag and line up. After everyone was in line and silent, the drill sergeant yelled at the top of his lungs, forward march. Each recruit began walking step. After a couple of yards, the drill sergeant turns around. To his surprise, the young new recruit was standing to the same position, way behind the line, just off the bus, and still standing with his back. The drill sergeant immediately runs over in the face of the young man and says, Boy, did not you hear me saying march forward? Young man replied, Yes, sergeant. Still in amaze at his insubordination, the drill sergeant yells at his top of the lungs, If you heard me, then why have you not moved? The young recruit replies, Because I did, you did not call my name. Oftentimes, we use the same excuse for the Great Commission or our attitude and lack of boldness and willingness to tell the good news communicates this attitude. Listen, church, it's not for a particular people. We are called on this mission together. Each of us is patiently waiting for Jesus to call us each by name and tell us what to do and where to go. While that is a possibility, we are called to do that in our homes, with our friends, our neighbors, in our workplace, in our community. The problem with this, is, however, is that God already used the 66 books of the Bible to reiterate the same commandment until this happens, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In conclusion, I, don't, I want to reveal review our peace with God and the task we have as a church in light of the end that we anticipate, in light of where we're going. We live daily in anticipation of meeting our Lord Jesus Christ. We live daily waiting that one day he will take us home and we will feast with him and we will worship along with others and say, holy, holy, holy. Matthew 24 says that then they deliver unto you up the tribulation and, and put you to the death. And you, verse 13, you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall prey and betray one another and hate one another. 
And many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures till the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed through all the world as a testimony to the nations. Listen to me in church. We are holding this up. Let's proclaim the gospel so that they will hear with all the proclamation and the hearing that cannot be a response to faith. The church is between that defined tax and the visible finished tax in Revelation chapter, uh, 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 the, the, church, the, the church in Revelation chapter 7. I want to read that. After this, I saw, sorry. After this, verse 9, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne, and in front of the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they were crying out in loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and the Lamb. Listen, church, let's preach this gospel. You want to be standing there and you point to that, to that person from, from Zambia and say, I preach the gospel to him. You want to be standing there and you point to that person from China and say, I preach the gospel to him. Whoever you're going to preach the gospel to and God save will be standing there with you, calling and worshiping him, holy, holy, and declaring that Jesus Christ is Lord. To do this, we have to rally in prayer. Founder, brothers, we ask you to pray that the Lord's message will spread rapidly and be honored wherever it goes, just as when it came to us. Pray for the advancement of the gospel personally, in your homes, with your children, and as a church. Besides, besides praying, Paul says, I have received full payment and have, and have more than enough. I'm ably supplied, now that I have received from you a private daughter's, the gifts you sent. They are fragrant offering and acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to the Lord. Finances should never stand in the advancement of the gospel, which you gave generously with love for God and love to see the gospel going. But also, we should wake up and go. We should do it. We should build good relationships that the gospel will be visible and people will ask, who is this Jesus? We should actually say it, that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. Jesus rose again, and we have peace in our hearts. And that peace flourishes so that we are motivated, and we are able to joyfully share the good news and trumpet it in our time for the extension of the gospel to every generation. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause your heart to stir afresh with the gospel so that you love it so much and you want to tell the next person near you that Jesus loves you. God bless you and keep you. Amen. Amen.